Faces come and go and I'm forever grateful Come and tell me long and slow exactly what I wait for Better times, yeah, better times, somehow I don't believe it I built a house up long ago just to up and leave it Continuing with our Upland Hunting preview episodes of On the Wing podcast, we're going to tackle the next round of Upland Hunting openers coming up across the country. And this week's episode as a pheasant and quail combo platter focused in the Great Plains. We've got Nebraska and our Nebraska State Coordinator Kelsey Werman on tap. We've got Iowa and our Iowa State Coordinator, Josh Diven, Missouri and our Missouri State Coordinator, Andrew White, and playing a platoon for two teams, Laura McIver is going to talk about Kansas and Oklahoma, and Laura is a regional representative in parts of Kansas and all of Oklahoma, her home state. So we'll dive right in and ask uh, each of our participants to introduce themselves. A number of these folks have been on in the past, but uh, it's been a while. So we'll start with Kelsey. I think the last time you were on Kelsey was this very same concept a year ago. Uh, Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, I'm Kelsey Werman. I'm the state coordinator in Nebraska. And I grew up in Nebraska. Um, I grew up in Southeast Nebraska and I live in South Central now. Um, I have two German short hairs, team pointer. Um, (laughs) One is two years old and the other is 11. So I kind of enjoy going around the state with those two. Sometimes I'll leave the older one home and let her hunt more closer to home and then um, travel with the young one. So. We've been out a little bit chasing grouse and um, as far as pheasants forever, I've been on um, almost 17 years. It'll be 17 in January. Wow. Congratulations. So do you have a perfect recipe for the age difference between <laughs> short hairs? Cause I'm, I'm, I've got a 10 year old, a four year old and in my name on a puppy next year. <laughs> so I've got uh, the, I've got the five year sequence, but is that the right sequence? That might be, I, you know, my grandpa always said, if you have two dogs, you have half a dog. <laughs> and I think there's some truth to that because when they are naughty, they're naughty together, you mm-hmm. know, but when they're, when they're just by my, or by ourselves, when I hunt them just one-on-one, they're so much better. So as far as age, I don't even know if it matters because <laughs> sometimes the older one is the the more mischievous one. <laughs> There's a, a saying, two is too many and three is too much. <laughs> so uh, I don't know, two and a half dogs. I, I don't know where that leaves you. But well, thank you for joining I, again. We'll, um, we'll come back because I want to hear about what you're finding in Nebraska for, for um, prairie grouse. And that'll inform us a little bit about what to expect for pheasants and quail. Um, moving to your east, Iowa, Josh Diven. Um, thanks for joining us. Josh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, so I'm, like Kelsey, um, state coordinator uh, for Pheasants River Quail Forever here in the great state of Iowa. Um, Farm kid, grew up in 
northern part of the state. Uh, got an opportunity almost 15 years ago, uh, coming up on uh, to be a biologist with Pheasants Forever up in the part of the state that I grew up in. So I jumped all over that and uh, ended up back very close to home. Um, and yeah, since then, served in a number of different roles with with PF and have been the state coordinator in Iowa now just a little over two years, which is hard to believe that the last two years just, you know, they just blinked right by. Hmm. But uh, two, two black labs, um, Mac and Oak, ages eight and two. So I'm also trying to do the, the five-year kind of rotation, and it's worked well so far, but Kelsey's not wrong in the uh, <laughs> two dogs is a half a dog. <laughs> <laughs> right on and I, I think andrew up next you have one dog right now right yeah so is your name on a litter uh no not anytime soon <laughs> i think uh the one i've got he'll be uh he'll be turning a year here later october 21st uh, so this okay. will be his first season we're both both psychs so if we're playing the five-year gap i got a few years yet <laughs> doug correct yes sir yep <laughs> All right. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and, and um, um, where you're from. You were on probably most recent out of everybody on the, the podcast today. You were on um, probably a few months ago talking about prescribed burning in Missouri. But refresh yep. memories for folks that uh, maybe didn't even listen to that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Andrew White, like, uh, like Bob said, uh, state coordinator here in Missouri. And we've got a team over... Uh, 30, 30 staff and growing, um, but uh, I've been with the organization for it'll be 12 years in February, so uh, not quite near as long as Josh and Kelsey, but uh, been been around a little while. Um, be celebrating uh, being a state coordinator here for two two years now here uh, later this month as well. Um, but uh, pre- previous to that, I was a farm bill biologist, started in in north uh, north central Missouri in Chillicothe, um, but uh, Missouri born and raised, grew up on a farm. Um, and CRP got my first love of uh, quail and pheasants from that farm. So um, yeah, it's it's been a wild ride, and I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Cool. And representing the Brittany <laughs> for the the bird dog variety group, it probably uh, well the the a volunteer before an employee, and mm-hmm. um, it's years. been. Been a few years since you've been on the podcast, but you were on during the um, the rooster road trip a few years ago. Laura, um, refresh our memories as to your background, where you're from, and what you uh, do with the organization. Okay, well, let's see. I've moved to Oklahoma in 2003, so that makes me 20 years here. Oh my word, I can't believe it's been that long. So, um, I lived all over the United States, grew up in the outdoors, although didn't always understand about, never had connected conservation to um, hunting and being outdoors and that type of thing until um, my other half, James, introduced me to upland bird hunting. And and then you wanna help start a Quail Forever chapter? Oh, okay, sure. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Here I am now almost 10 years as an employee. that rounds out uh, participants for this, the, kind of the Great Plains edition, as we preview the fe- upcoming pheasant and quail hunting seasons. 
Um, before we dive into the meat of the conversation, I want to give a shout out to Onyx, national partner of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And um, they are offering, offering a free seven-day trial and 20% off your Onyx Hunt membership right now if you use the code PFQF at onyxhunt.com. And they will also give a portion of your subscription, your membership to Onyx Hunt back to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's Wildlife Habitat mission. So that's 20% off at onyxhunt.com using the code PFQF. And no matter where you're going in the country, the public lands are marked, whether those are state WMAs, WPAs, or walk-in programs, like we have some tremendous walk-in programs in the states we're going to cover today, the uh, Open Fields and Waters in Nebraska, IHAP in Iowa, um, Weehaw, Yeehaw for Weehaw in Kansas, OLAP in Oklahoma. So Onyx has it all. PFQF is the code to use. All right. I mentioned Open Fields and Waters, and I can't talk about Nebraska without thinking about that. It's, in my opinion, the signature walk-in program in the country, blending private lands habitat into public access. Um, Kelsey, kudos to you and what you, you all have done in Nebraska. Do you hear that a lot when you talk to other people in the country that, that Open Fields and Waters is sort of a signature walk-in program? Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, you know, we've, we've looked at, we've always looked at that program as uh, making sure that there's high quality sites. So it's not necessarily quantity over quality. We want to make sure that we're enrolling the landowners that are going above and beyond to get that quality. And we do have additional incentives to help out with habitat management and sign up bonuses for CRP. Um, you know, the, the one thing that always comes up and, and is always a little more depressing is kind of the haying and grazing aspects mm. of a walk-in program. Um, but we do offer incentives. And then, um, you know, it's been tough the last three years with the drought, um, whereas some of, the, some of the areas have been hayed and grazed. Um, but we do follow up with those landowners to um, do habitat improvements through the contract management. So, one year you may see a site hate and grazed or hate or grazed, but then, um, you know, eventually a couple of years down the line that may have been interceded and, and, um, be better than what it was. Mm. So that's it. That's the one thing with the, you know, any walk-in access program that's uh, voluntary, um, on private land is, you know, working through some of those management techniques. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so many of those acres are built on top of the federal CRP program, so they are um, they are under the guidelines of the federal program. So if there's a drought, as you indicated, then there, it's an emergency tool for farmers and ranchers, and, and honestly, that can be beneficial in the long term for habitat. Right, right, yep. Yeah, just look at the kind of two years down the road, the silver lining there. Um, mm-hmm. That's always an important thing to to discuss. And um, that's one of the good things about CRP too, is that it can be a bank for forage when, um, when you need it, when the country needs it. So 
um, in general, it's a pretty good story to tell and it produces birds when you're not in a drought so. right. well, <laughs> and has good habitat. And it, like you've alluded to, when you do roll up to a spot and it has been hater grazed that you were expecting to hunt, that can have, you know, that can be disheartening. So you mentioned Nebraska has been in a drought for a while. Let's, let's dive into the forecast for Nebraska. <laughs> what, what, how pervasive is the drought? And how much is it going to affect hunting, um, hunting season in, in public lands when people come to the state? This uh, You guys open October 28th, correct? Yep, yep October 28th. Um, it's always the last weekend in October. Um, so I, you know, on a positive note, I would say most of the state is out of the drought. Um, it's really been interesting. So where, um, and I probably even covered this last year, but where we where we would tell people to go um, in the past was kind of southwest Nebraska, the Panhandle. They they always had really good numbers, um, and that area was impacted by the drought the most in the last like two to three years. Whereas this year they got a lot of moisture. Mm. Um, they got a lot of rain, more rain than they'd seen in a long time. So the habitat looks really good there. There is a lot of um, you know just even just in you know insect reports is kind of interesting. People are seeing a lot of insects, um, which is good for our brood numbers. Um, however, you know you do have to realize that they were in a drought, so it is going to take some time to bounce back. But everything is looking positive um, for that to happen in the future. Um, there are a couple areas of the state that are still in drought, so. Um, where I'm at, South Central, we're experiencing a lot of drought. We farm and ranch too, so we're definitely seeing the impacts um, from the the farming economy. But um, but last year we weren't in a drought, so last year we had excellent numbers and just running um, kind of crow counts and surveys um, this year. You know where I heard birds last year, I hear I still hear them. I just hear less of them mm. kind of in the um, in the drought areas. So that would be one thing is just pay attention to the drought monitor and and kind of think about, you know, if you're coming to the state, think about um, where the drought has kind of maybe impacted numbers. Yeah, it's it's one thing we all get these roadside August roadside counts from different states and it's like, you know, North Dakota's was up 62%. And it's like, well, there's birds everywhere, you know, yeah. and it, you know, it's really important to keep in mind that weather and habitat remain very localized. And you could have be in a state with those statewide counts could be up 62%. But there's a portion that, you know, habitat has suffered because of a drought and the numbers are down there. And then in completely opposite, it could be extremely high in Nebraska based on the weather this year. In the last couple of years, as you indicated, the Southwest, which has historically been the best part of Nebraska for wild pheasants and quail, has had a kind of a two-year run of drought. Now, this year has been good, but it's going to take a while for it to rebound and see the numbers where it's been like over the 10-year average. And that's important for thinking about where you're going to travel to Nebraska is to try to get some local intel based on what are the conditions this year and what have been the conditions the last couple of years. 
Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And um, speaking of the the mail carrier survey, that that's kind of our long-standing trend um, to look at different surveys. And for pheasants, um, the central and northeast regions um, showed an increase, um, which they also had an increase last year. Those those areas of the state um, have really done well um, in the past couple of years. And for for quail. Um, you know, quail are really interesting because it seems like their numbers actually increase when there's drought conditions. And um, so North Central and the Republican Valley, which is kind of the southern tier of Nebraska, that's actually the, the area that I'm in. And then the southeast um, part of the state are um, they've increased their quail numbers. Hmm. And I've, I've seen it on our farm, too. It's um, and Andrew will probably um, mention this. I know he's kind of seen some stuff in Missouri too, but um, the quail broods that I've seen are huge. I mean, <laughs> they're like 30 birds. Um, places where, you know, maybe I'll see a few, all of a sudden there's just these swarms almost. I'm like, geez, what is that? <laughs> so that's kind of been Swarms of quail. <laughs> yeah. I, yes. I need you to drop a pin for me, Kelsey. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I've taken a couple of videos, and then I was going to post them. I'm like, no, I'm not. We'll <laughs> they'll, they'll know where I'm at. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's been um, kind of cool to see. So, um, you know, just with everything, some, some things are looking great, and then, you know, some aren't. But overall, um, I would say it's, you know, it's definitely a lot better than last year and coming out of the drought, the drought and then, um, next year, I think will be another really good year. Cool, that's really encouraging. What you, you mentioned, you've been out um, prairie grouse hunting. Um, I've, I've seen it on Facebook. What what have you seen for um, sharpies and chickens in Nebraska yeah. so far? Um, so I I haven't been skunked yet, um, and that doesn't mean I've gotten anything or everything every time. But I've definitely seen birds. Um, I would say, you know, again, like South Central Nebraska, where last year I I had like, you know, groups of 40 and 50 chickens get up um, hmm. this year. Those groups were lower. Um, but I think, you know, we we also had ponds dry up that we'd never thought would dry up. Um, so that definitely was interesting. But then I hunted um, I've kind of hunted South Central, North Central and Northwest Nebraska for grouse and um, seen birds every time, um, good, good numbers. And interestingly, um, last week I went out and hunted kind of Northwest, North central Nebraska. And I saw roosters every time, Hmm. um, every field I was at. So, um, in areas that I, I wouldn't have thought that pheasants were there. So, um, so yeah, seeing birds, you know, it's just a matter of kind of being in the right places at the right time of day too. Um, and you'll find them. Yeah, that's that's really encouraging. We, Nebraska and Kansas are two states that I think about, you know, being up north, you know, and when the when winter hits and, you know, something that you can a state that you can take a long weekend in January and have a reasonable chance of finding good numbers of public land, pheasants and quail, Kansas and Nebraska mm-hmm. are super high on my list for doing that. So it's really encouraging to hear those numbers. Uh, let's bounce to Iowa directly um, to the east of Nebraska. 
what walk us through what habitat drought roadside counts what's what's iowa's outlook josh sure it's always interesting you know hearing just how different it can be just across you know across the river there for for us and while drought you know in lots of states you know has a negative impact on you know upland birds it seems like in iowa here excessive moisture is usually uh, a problem for us so mm. i mean we've been very dry here uh in in iowa too um that drought has gotten a little bit lighter as the summer has gone on here in early fall but still pretty droughty but um those conditions in iowa actually help us uh have a better nesting season so then that's what we that's what we saw so um you know overall the winter we had was you know at, at least as measured in terms of uh, snowfall we got less um than the kind of upper threshold for what we'd like we, what we start to see for declines for birds so uh, most of the state had a mild winter with the exception would be uh, northwest iowa north central iowa had some had a pretty catastrophic uh you know winter there that, that kind of showed up in december and and dug its claws in pretty hard there throughout a lot of the winter um probably had some you know winter mortality uh in those parts of the state but you know because we you know carried through and were relatively dry in the nesting season i think it's probably fair to say that you know we offset some of that that winter loss with just primo nesting conditions so i think mm-hmm. across the state in terms of nesting the, the weather forecast was 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 perfect um and i think we're sitting pretty good and and the august the iowa dnr's you know roadside count reflects that uh, that came out and we we're up 15 15 percent from last year so just i think just under 20 23 birds you know a route um you know and like just like you're talking about in terms of a statewide average and how that breaks out across the state um you know generally we saw increases in 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 pheasants across the majority of the state i think the exception is south central and east central but um you know the i'd say the spot to take a hard look at for anyone taking a look at iowa would be you know west central northwest you know north central if you you know want to venture into north central iowa um, i don't recommend it Um, (laughs) yeah stay out of my backyard (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah i mean i think you know good to excellent you know pheasant Mm. hunting across a lot of iowa we saw some pretty tremendous increases from from last year um and yeah it's we got a lot to be excited about. I think the expectation is that we should harvest, you know, in the range of 400,000 roosters this year. And I think it's going to be good. Yeah. It's interesting as you know, you explain the, the winter weather in the almost the near perfect spring nesting conditions. It's Iowa echoes the last podcast in Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, just epic snowfall, really depression around boy things are in bad shape for the birds and then boom snow melts and it's like a 10 out of 10 for nesting season and all the roadside counts illustrate like pheasants succeed based on the spring not you know like winter cover is really important but what really is important at the top of the heap is winter or spring habitat 
in spring weather, those two things in, in tandem produce birds. And it's like, okay, do I include Iowa in the conversations with Minnesota, Dakotas, or is it part of the Great Plains? And ultimately, I was like, well, it opens the same day as Nebraska, so I'm putting it in the Great Plains. But it, there's a lot more similarities to Iowa's forecast to the Dakotas and Minnesota this year in terms of really being out of the drought and having a boom in spring nesting success. Yeah, there was, you know, late, late December when we had, I remember we had like a, it was almost a, almost a three day blizzard, you know, and uh, we were covered in snow, howling winds. It was like 35 below, 35 below zero wind chill, just maintained for two, three days. And I was thinking like pheasants are, they're screwed up in, you know, Mm. Northwest, North central part of the state. Because it's just hard to imagine anything, anything surviving that. Uh, but then, yeah, like you said, we had great, great nesting conditions, and and you know our team was hearing from all kinds of people about the number of birds they were they were seeing out, um, you know, roosters crowing on edges of roads, and then yeah, the the broods as it got into middle of summer. So, um, what? And I'm looking at my notes here, and I forgot to ask Kelsey about banquets that are occurring um, in Nebraska. So. Um, I'll come back to Kelsey. Um, Josh, why don't you um, tell us about Iowa banquets that are occurring in conjunction with um, with opening weekend or that time of the year, and then we'll we'll let Kelsey jump in after you and fill in the gap that I left open. Sure. Yeah. No. There there are. I mean, um, Iowa has a ton of PF and QF chapters, so that's that's super exciting. And there's a lot of those chapters utilize kind of the strategy of playing off the excitement, you know, of the upcoming mm-hmm. fall hunting seasons. And they, you know, they, they target their, their fundraisers in the fall, you know, lots of times to grab some additional folks that are, you know, coming through traveling to hunt. So, man, I think in the next six weeks, we probably have 20 to 25 banquets that are coming up. We probably have maybe close to the same in terms of learn to hunt events. Um, yeah, this, this next six weeks is a, is a really busy one for, you know, volunteers across the state, you know, raising, raising dollars for habitat. So it's a fun time of the year. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll point people to pheasantsforeverevents.org, particularly the states that are destinations for traveling bird hunters like Iowa, like um, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, and Kansas. There's a lot of the local chapters that take advantage of holding their fundraisers for non-resident hunters that are in town that it's a great way to contribute to the local habitat uh, funding in those communities. Kelsey, what what chapters do you want to, any particular events you want to point people towards connection to Nebraska? Yeah, yep, we do. We've got a handful of banquets yet this fall. Um, A lot of the fall banquets have already occurred. Um, We've got Four Seasons, which is um, in Thayer County, uh, October 27th. We've got the Sandhills PF chapter, November 3rd. Knuckles County PF, woo, my home chapter, (laughs) uh, November 10th. Um, And then Platte County is also November 4th um, here coming up. And then, like Josh mentioned, the next two weekends we have all of our the chapters do their youth mentor hunts um and i think in the next two weekends we've got 21 events and then we've got a few we've got a handful after that so if you do have um 
youth 12 to 15 in age, um, be sure to check the website because we've got a ton of opportunities for them coming up. Cool. All right, let's uh, bounce over uh, one more state to the, well, east of Nebraska and South Iowa, the Show Me State. Andrew, what's uh, what do things look like for for the birds in Missouri? I, I would say promising. Uh, we've got uh, a lot of the same, you know, climate factors playing, playing or coming into play down here. Um, you know, we were rather dry uh, for the better part of this summer. Um, as in years past. However, big shout out to Iowa and Nebraska for sending Missouri some of its storms. Um, <laughs> so while it could have been real bad, um, it wasn't near as bad. Um, you know, it's it's definitely been a lot worse in years past. However, with the uh, you know onset of our native forage initiative that started last year, um, we've got uh, over 14,000 acres going back into to native habitat and annual seedings. And so that's increasing a lot a lot of habitat around the state in addition to a lot of the pollinator and brood ring habitat that's going in as well. So, um, you know, just kind of looking over the past year, winter wise, rather mild. I mean, hmm. I can only North Missouri usually gets a bulk of the winter weather. Um, and I think there was only one time that we were above five inches of snow, one or two times above five inches of snow, but it was gone within a day or two. So it didn't matter too terribly much. Um, I see Josh shaking his head. I'm sure he's jealous of that, but, uh, you know, and, and then kind of, you know, just going through the rest of winter, I mean, there weren't any significant ice events or anything like that to cover, you know, food or anything like that. So we, we fared out pretty decently over the winter. Um, and then spring, like you said earlier, that, that spring weather, spring habitat, I mean, that's where it comes into play. Um, I honestly uh, cannot say um, I've ever seen this many birds uh, in my life hmm. um, pre, pre working for Pheasants Forever or, at, you know, being in, in this role that I am. But, um, you know, Kelsey made a, a reference to, uh, I think we coined the term mega broods. Um, there was one, uh, a landowner sent it into one of my farm bill biologists and it ended up, you know, going on national uh, Pheasants Forever Facebook page and Quilt Forever Facebook page. So, um, and I think there was a little over 30 birds in that, um, you know, all juvenile, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's been insane. I'm, I'm super stoked. We've got uh, our fall covey counts coming up uh, here the rest of October. We'll be setting out uh, next week to go go check those areas. But, um, you know, roadside surveys, we're looking at, uh, you know, 1.1 1, 1 .1 birds per route, which doesn't seem like a whole lot, but it's actually, you know, a 22% increase over last year's number statewide. Hmm. Um, and it sounds dismal, but quail also don't live on gravel roads. Um, so it's one thing to, to take into account there. So while these numbers do seem pretty dismal, I assure you that there are birds across the state, just about anywhere you go. Um, you know, the North part of the state is you usually reign supreme on the, the quail populations for sure. And especially the pheasants, um, everybody that, uh, ever asked me where to go for pheasants, I said, just get as close to Iowa as you can and steal some <laughs> of their birds. So, um, there's, uh, for, for pheasants for sure further north you go in the state, more uh, long tails you're going to be running into. But, you know, across the northern half of the state uh, from the Missouri River north, I mean, the bird numbers are, are excellent there. Um, saw a 29% in, uh, increase over last year's number in northwest Missouri, 7% um, increase in north central Missouri where I live. I mean, it shows, and there's birds seemingly everywhere. Um, I actually got a 
call from a landowner the other day that uh, started the phone call off apologizing because he had just uh, taken out a, a couple birds with his truck as he was driving down the road. So they are definitely there. They are definitely on the roads, but uh, drive with caution. We need, probably need to make some uh, eye break quail bumper stickers or something. <laughs> um, but um, I, I will I will say just seeing some of this roadside data coming in, um, you know, there's a couple areas that came out of left field. Um, you know, in the, the Mississippi lowlands across the eastern side of the state, southeast Missouri, and uh, then the Ozark Plateau, which is south central Missouri, came in big. Uh, Mississippi lowlands was up uh, over 150% over last year, which is insane, um, at 1.43 birds per, per route. And then the uh, staggering part of it is the Ozark Plateau, Plateau coming out of nowhere with over 250% increase over last year. Um, so like I said, just about anywhere you go, you're going to be running into birds. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I'm super excited, especially with this being my new pups first year. I think we're going to be, we're going to be getting into some birds for sure. So I know, you know, Missouri has had a lot of success with, uh, identifying the quail focal areas and creating mm-hmm. habitat or are these numbers, bird increase numbers a result of the habitat successes is it favorable weather is it a combination of all the factors it it, it's a combination of a lot of those factors i mean you know in the past we've you and i have talked where we're we're seeing some areas on private land within some of these quail restoration landscape that they're above a bird per acre which you know the department of conservation they kind of look at a bird per acre is exceptional mm-hmm. um, and when you're above that that's fantastic and, and a lot of the work that's going on it is intensive work habitat work that's going on with those private landowners um, but it's absolutely replicable uh, we can do this in other areas of the state um, similarly in northeast missouri i mean they're they're hovering around that bird per acre area too um, and so you know it's it's a combination of, of things I mean, you know first and foremost habitat but if we can get mother nature to cooperate that just that's the icing on the cake for sure when it comes to quail so as i think about the states represented on this podcast like iowa is a destination for a lot of bird hunters you know michigan wisconsin points east same thing with nebraska nebraska pulls people and kansas pulls people from the east and colorado like i see tons of people from denver in western nebraska uh, Oklahoma, Kansas are, you know, top three quail states in the country. Um, Missouri, I, I don't naturally think of as a destination for traveling bird hunters, but I'm, I'm a far removed from Missouri. Like I have to travel over Iowa to get to Missouri. Like, why would I, you know, why would I go that extra what in for quail why wouldn't i go to nebraska or kansas but as a person who lives in missouri when you roll up to public spots are you seeing license plates from other states or is it primarily absolutely missouri? you are okay so yep. it is a destination for just probably from the south coming to missouri yeah no i don't necessarily think that missouri is just like a go-to destination like the dakotas for for pheasants or whatever um you know in respect to quail um, you know, I think we get a lot of folks that are passing through to those other states. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of those folks, you know, talking to them in the parking lot, just see how they're doing. And, you know, you know, we've got a limit of, of eight quail here in Missouri and 
they've either, either limited out or, or got damn close just within a couple hours here in the mm. past couple of years. So um, while it, it may not be a for sure destination state, I think people probably should start considering it being a destination state for quail um, and, and, you know, native habitat and, and um, a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff going on across the landscape, across Missouri um, with, with our MDC partner biologists, our biologists and, and other partners involved. I mean, we're working hard and, and seeing a lot of the a lot of the good from all that hard work from the landowners and, and staff as well. Yeah, I can see that from all the metrics, you know, members, chapters, acres, like Missouri is on the rise. So it's natural that, you know, the public land would lead to more quail, which will lead to more hunters and just curious. So one more question, and this can be Kelsey or Andrew, you guys talked about mega broods. I'm interested about the biology behind a mega brood. Is it two two quail like families together? Is it a lost mama quail and the chicks being absorbed into another group? Like do you know what can you explain the Brady Bunch dynamic that has occurred in a mega brood? Yeah, I mean, if you look at it kind of a birds of a feather flock together aspect, I mean I, it, I think it's absolutely just a couple brood, you know, pods ma- merging together. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, co-parenting that goes on with quail, um, you know, males and females. And then, you know, even males and females that are not that bruised parents, you know, jump in and help out. So it, it to me, it, it truly takes a village uh, when it comes to quail. Um, but I would say that's absolutely what's going on is, you know, a couple broods running in together and, you know, power in numbers for sure, hmm. um, especially you know, from a private landowner that's been working really hard and working for years and for them to see that and just be blown away. Um, it's pretty, pretty damn awesome. Anything you'd want to add, Kat, Kelsey? Yeah, I would just say, yeah, I, I think that is the case because the ones that I've seen, they're all the same age, um, all the same size and I don't know what's going on, but I know my reaction when I see them. <laughs> like, holy. <laughs> Expletive. Or, you know, yes. I, I've had one twice now, same one, cross the road in front of me, and you slam on the brakes, and they just keep going. Mm. You know, they just keep coming. I'm like, geez, what's happening here? Yep. So, no, it's cool to see. I've, I have not seen that in, you know, since I've been here, and well, 15 years since I've been living here and i saw three of them this year it's it's incredible wow yep from a hunting perspective i think that it would be almost impossible not to flock shoot that you know when (laughs) when your dog's on point and you're expecting you know okay maybe there'll be 12 right the average clutch size and then like 30 birds get up like ah Vapor exactly what for sure yeah and I, I guarantee you if you were to talk to my brother he'd probably razz me a little bit because when something like that happens i mean each reactionary for me is just to stand there and watch it mm-hmm. um i probably nine times out of ten won't even pull up to shoot because it's just like i'm in awe because it's like all right i mean that's that's awesome but yeah i mean it's it's pretty 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 cool to see um and just like kelsey said you know so i saw not near 30 some some chicks or anything but there was close to 20 maybe just over 20 and i ended up slamming on the brakes thank god no one was behind me but um i was just astounded and you know by the time i could get my phone pulled out to take a a picture they were already off into the weeds Mm. on the side of the road but 
Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And kind of kind of going back to your your question about out of state hunters, I've seen a license plate here locally, um, you know, in, in north central Missouri from California. I've seen some from Oregon, Washington, Minnesota, actually. Hmm. Um, some from Florida, Texas. I mean, just really all over. Uh, I think one one that really shocked me was uh, New York last year. Hmm. And I'm not sure if people are renting vehicles and those are just the license plates that are on there, but judging by the amount of stuff and how uh, beat up some of those vehicles are from off-roading, I'd say that they, they came. They came <laughs> to Missouri for sure. Cool. So. Well, for folks coming to Missouri, uh, any banquets you want to point them towards? Um, so unlike some of these other states, we're pretty well wrapped up in Missouri by the time this airs. But uh, kind of like you said earlier, if folks go to the events page uh, on the website, um, though there's all sorts of uh, youth youth mentored hunts, women's hunts. I think there's a women's squirrel hunt coming up here within the next few weeks. So a lot of, a lot of cool opportunities for, for youth and new and inexperienced hunters uh, coming about by some of these chapters. But as far as banquets go, we're, we'll pretty be pretty well be wrapped up by the time this, this airs. Okay. Uh, Laura, thank you so much for waiting patiently. Uh, you get, you get to take two swings at the plate here. Uh, so walk us through Kansas and, uh, Feel free to move right into your home state, Oklahoma. What what do things look like in in uh, your two favorite states? Okay, well, definitely much better than it was the last two to three years. That's for sure. Um, we've been in that drought situation for quite some time, and some areas, especially northwest Oklahoma and um, southwest Oklahoma, up to Kansas, all of my southwestern Kansas, basically from south central on over just was hit really really hard with drought the last couple of years so the rains are are just everybody's ecstatic hmm. about the rainfall and the birds are responding um kansas has a much different eco region region areas than what some of oklahoma has so kansas has had um those areas where the drought this is going to be that recovery year i actually saw pheasant for the first time on some of my drives in southwest kansas just in the last couple of months where i had not seen them for the last couple of years so i was really excited to see that and then i'm getting great reports from certain areas in you know central kansas and south central in certain spots um eastern kansas will probably have better quail and pheasant but you can find pheasant back there too i mean you just have to be a little uh persistent and you know find your areas your weehaw your public hunting um there's some great new public um build a wildlife areas that are coming on um board and a lot of those have really good pheasant and quail on those properties um so those are things to definitely try to look up and try um more of a spottier type of forecast, I would say, for Kansas. You're going to get it or you're not. It's just mm. going to be one of those where it's going to be great or it's just not going to be that great. Mm. So, um, and I'm sure there's somebody who will disagree with me out there, but that's okay. This is just my experiences from what I've seen. I think you'll have better success more on the quail side in general, but I, there's still some good pheasant hunting for sure. Lots of good pheasant hunting. You just got to pick. You gotta go through the right spots. Look at the map. 
your drought maps are probably going to be your best indicators okay. as to what will happen there. Um, same thing for Oklahoma. Um, I have never seen it so green in the panhandle of Oklahoma and Southwest Kansas. It is gorgeous, mm. <laughs> absolutely gorgeous. And so birds are everywhere all season. All, I mean, all summer long, I've been getting texts from broods running across the, the, the road in front of them to brood counts that are large, just like, you know, similar to what Kelsey was talking about. Um, and they're all sizes. They're not just one age. They're like five different mm. ages in there. So the, on the quail side of things, that has definitely um, looks promising. In fact, I don't want to embarrass um, Andrew here, but our average index for this last year um, is 2.23 quail per route. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> so um, there's quail. There's definitely quail. Uh, interestingly enough, the weather patterns for Oklahoma and Kansas are really similar to 2015, which if everybody goes back in their history, thinking back what were good seasons, that was a good year, an excellent year compared to the drought that we had before. Mm -hmm. But we also had great patterns the year the year after in 2016, the weather patterns. And that was the boom year that everybody just freaked out about that. That was where I kept hearing reports and even I experienced 18 cubbies in a day type of thing. Mm. Um, and so if we could have that same weather set up for this next year, um, I think we'll have a great year next year as well, even better than this year. This year, they're gonna rebound just like Kelsey's saying. They're just rebounding from the drought from this last couple of years. So cool. <clears throat> so fingers crossed, you'll have a good year this year, and then mm -hmm. next year could be the the year to travel to Oklahoma. Oh, you can come here now. <laughs> so. All right. Let's. Uh, what What about banquets in Oklahoma, Laura, and um, and Kansas? Yes, I was going to say, we actually have more in Kansas than in Oklahoma for the next couple of months. Um, I think we had, I think I counted five banquets in Kansas between now and the end of the year. Um, but there's also, like Andrew, multiple opportunities to get engaged on other levels for youth to women. And then in Oklahoma, we have a, a couple of them in August, but most of mine here in Oklahoma will be in the spring. So February... Jan actually starting January I have banquets starting the second week of January and on out for the whole spring so in both states very good well we'll point people once again to look at to pheasantsforeverevents.org you can find pheasants forever banquets and quail forever banquets across the country particularly the ones in the fall here with uh uh, in conjunction with hunting seasons happening um, around the country to get people that are traveling from out of state to be a part of the local community. And you never know who you might meet and uh, a new friend, a new uh, uh, opportunity to hunt some land through a friendship and a new connection that you maybe never would have expected um, simply by attending a banquet. All right, as we, as we put a bow on this episode, I'm going to go around the horn 
and ask uh, if if folks are listening as a non-resident traveling to your state, what bit of advice or a hack, an insider tip, would you ask or would you suggest to those traveling bird hunters um, to think about when they go to your to your state to chase pheasants or quail? And we'll start in Nebraska with Kelsey. Um, go ahead. What what's a tip for somebody? going to Nebraska this season? Yeah, I would um, definitely pull up your Onyx. Look at look at Onyx, but don't just look at the site that you're wanting to hunt. Look at the surrounding habitat. And if you see water nearby, um, that's where you're going to want to be. Um, also, you know, because I, you know, I did mention some of the haying and grazing, uh, look to see what type of public access it is and what's around. So mm. the open fields and waters is gonna be really good, um, but there is a chance that it, that you know maybe half of it is hayed. And so if you go to an area where it shows open fields and waters, but then there's also some federal lands or state lands, um, state uh, wildlife management areas or the WPAs, um, you know, you're gonna have a chance of going to an area and finding some um, great habitat to hunt, uh, but just look at the surrounding um, landscape as well, and and look for water. That's that's really interesting. So I mentioned we our last episode the north, and we talked North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, and very consistent with folks for that episode talking about looking at the landscape because birds are not just created in one place. You need to sort of see. What the but the mosaic, to use a term out of our organization, what the mosaic of the habitat around particular hunting properties are. And think about you know the time of day that you're going to be there too. Um, you know, plan plan your trip, plan your even just your day. Um, you know, if if there's a cornfield near near the area that you want to hunt, maybe save that for in the morning or the evening. Yeah, golden hour. Yeah. All right, Josh, what's your tip? Well, Kelsey's was a great one. Um, so if, now that she's taken that, um, <laughs> I would say, <clears throat> I'd say something to consider, you know, for Iowa and this, I guess it's applicable anywhere, but I think it always helps to, as you're doing some scouting, find some spots and good looking habitat that is a bit of a hike, you know, that you're get in and push away, you know, from those close short walks, um, I think you have more success when you're a little bit miserable. Um, you push in like that, but outside of that, come consider co- coming during the week or plan on getting to your spot early, early. Uh, if it's going to be on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Those are, those are good tips as well. Like, you know, there's so many people follow the same perimeter path. It's like a deer path around the perimeter of a public area. And if you dive deep and go the extra mile, especially on a Tuesday, you're, you know, you, you do improve your chances. Um, Andrew, what would you say about uh, tip for Missouri? Uh, well, it's uh, hard because Josh and Kelsey both took exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> um, ab- absolutely use technology to your advantage. Um, those are, those are must haves anymore. Um, you know, kind of taking it a step further, um, you know, M- Missouri has a, a growing recreational access program. Um, the Missouri Department of Conservation has a website. You can go 
mdc.mo.gov um, and search MRAP. Um, and there's varying levels of access that are available. Just definitely pay attention to, to what's allowed. You know, some have all access, some have just small game or youth only. So just pay attention to those. Um, we've got over 50 of those across the state um, available, um, as well as conservation areas across the state as well that are extremely productive with birds. Um, I think one of my biggest tips is bring snacks. Um, I'm a big snack guy. Uh, I get hungry about an hour in. So definitely bring snacks and, and don't be afraid, afraid to beat the brush. And kind of like Josh mentioned, go off that beaten path. Um, go explore somewhere new that you don't you know, typically go if you're going to a place you've been to before. I've had some really good success that way. Right, right on. <laughs> bring snacks. <laughs> All right, Laura, take us home. Give us a tip for Kansas and Oklahoma. All right. Well, Kansas um, and Oklahoma both. First off, I am in total agreement with the Onyx thing because I use mine all the time and I'm marking things all the time on that thing. So, yes, use your Onyx. Got to have one of those. Um, the I would point people to the survey information that Peasants Forever and Quilt Forever have online for the most recent surveys. Um, that's probably your top areas that I would look at for sure. But when your October surveys come out, that's going to, I don't think they come out before the beginning of the season. So make sure if you're traveling in December, or January, um, that you are looking at the October surveys to kind of give you a better feel for where there might be more birds or better higher success, so to speak. Um, the drought map is also very helpful. <laughs> so I use that a lot. <laughs> so, um, and that has definitely been one of my better indicators. Um, look for diversity, just like you said there a lot, but your edges are awesome um, in a lot of areas with Weehaw that you don't expect. So your tree lines and stuff like that. Waterways, yes, I agree. Um, so, yeah, I would think um, that would pretty much sum it up for both of those states. You're going to need better boots, hardier boots I, in Oklahoma for a lot of areas. I think Bob can attest to that. <laughs> uh, some of those areas are really rugged. So I usually have leather, um, the nine inch leather boots that are at least four to five gram with the waterproofing. So Kansas, I don't have nearly as much of a problem um with the, the terrain <laughs> as i do in oklahoma so but that's my other hack that i would definitely recommend moleskin <clears throat> is a wonderful thing <laughs> yeah you definitely want to bring the chaps to oklahoma because that uh, kind of the cat's claw and all the stuff that just rips at your your pants in oklahoma when you're out in the sage i guess it's not sage but um chasing quail in some of that public area is it can be really nasty oh the other thing um absolutely you are going to need boots for your dogs i'm gonna let you know that now you're gonna be shocked at how many sandbirds are out there mm. <laughs> so just saying <laughs> good bit of advice there i can attest to that as well i guess you know one moral of the story for folks if you if you haven't ever traveled to bird hunt, or maybe you haven't added a new state, um, it'll make you a better bird hunter, even in your home, by traveling somewhere completely different and learning um, how birds react to a different climate, to different habitat, 
or even chasing a different bird altogether, when you come back to wherever your home state is, you'll be able to put some new insight into how you hunt your home territory and it'll make you better. Plus, it's just variety is the spice of life. You've heard that saying before, but it's wonderful to go somewhere else and eat some barbecue, drink a craft beer, and talk to some folks that you wouldn't have ever met unless you took a traveling bird hunt. So get out there, and as always, follow the dog. Something good will rise, folks. Thanks for listening.